Welcome to the first edition of the Mockingcast. I'll be your host, Scott Jones, and I'm here with the founder, director of Mockingbird Ministries, David Zoll. Hey, Scott. Sounds so official. It is. It is very official. You, you look official. You look and sound official because you are. Well, thank you. All right, David. Most of the people who are tuning in will probably have some familiarity, at least early on, with Mockingbird, but there are probably going to be a few of the uninitiated, so to speak. So for those folks who aren't super familiar with Mockingbird and what you do, how would you explain it in like the verbal equivalent of a tweet? Maybe not a tweet. Maybe a short Facebook post. Yeah, I guess we, at this point, we are a media platform concern that looks to, um, connect, uh, the sort of the Christian faith with all aspects of everyday life. And when I say the Christian faith, that's loaded, but we're, we're talking about an understanding of, uh, how God relates to human beings that is fundamentally gracious and good news. And, um, so we're, Always trying to find places where that touches down in uh, things, you know, from pop culture to academic theology to history to personal essays, psychology, you name it. So what Mockingbird does is we have a website and um, we have publications and conferences and uh, magazines and all sorts of ways we're trying to do that. But to, that's kind. That, that's basically what we do. But it's really more of a come and see type of thing. So this is kind of like a grace-infused and entranced vision of Christian cosmopolitanism, maybe. <laughs> I like it, yeah. I, I like it mainly because that's the name of the, the Whit Stillman show, uh, The Cosmopolitans. And you, one of the features that you do through the website is you put out a pretty uh, long-form blog post. It's packed full of great stuff called The Weekender. Like, what? Tell us a little bit about The Weekender. Sure. Every a lot of websites have these things, but it's a roundup that goes out on Fridays that touches on all the things that we didn't write about during the week uh, that are of interest or that have just come across our screen. Sometimes it's older things as well, um, but they appear to be popular posts. They're fun to put together. Um, we can kind of uh, things that only we feel maybe warrant a mention rather than a post of its own. Um, and we, we, there's a format, but the three of us that do it, um, myself, Ethan and CJ, we each have our sort of own ways that we go about it, but it's just, it's really just a roundup of links and articles with, with some minimal commentary. It's gotten a little bit, um, too long in my opinion, but we have fun with it. And we can find it. Folks can find it at ember.com. That's correct. Short, easy URL. You know, that's great. Yes. Uh, just a point of personal question. You have a short name, but how often do people ask you how to spell it? I get, I get, it's asked a lot. I, yeah. be, I never, you hear Zoll, people tend to spell it Z-O-L-L, left to their own devices. Um, so, you know, it, there's, there's no surefire way of saying it correctly that someone will spell it correct, right. I am so envious of people with interesting names, like Scott Jones, like no one ever asks me to spell it early. And when somebody does, it's not like getting carded when you're 40. Because you look at the person like, oh, you can't phonetically figure out Jones. You probably had a hard time in life. <laughs> like you don't, you know, so it's not nice even <laughs> when it happens. But so this week's Weekender 
a couple interesting things. One, I love that you featured Joel Miller's piece on Oprah and her believing historical perspective. Because I think Oprah and religion is so great. Because you know how on her show she would give away, you're going to Australia, you're going to Australia. I'm picturing her going, you're going to heaven, you're getting nirvana, all right. You know, like a, like a religious like salvation game. But So tell me, what, what, what did you find intriguing about Oprah on belief? Well, um, you know, I know a lot of people that read and digest everything Oprah does, and I don't, I think she's a fairly easy target, so we don't talk about her that much. Um, but, uh, this was very, the way that Oprah uses the word belief, and she's been talking more and more about religion, and, um, the way that she uses the word belief, it turns out, is quite, um, different from the way, uh, it's traditionally been understood. So, uh, she's sort of the, um, poster child, I guess, for the triumph of the subjective over any believing or assenting to some kind of objective truth. That's what it used to mean to believe or to uh, put your actually, historically, it used to be that you would, uh, to believe in something meant to, in the sense of, I believe in you, uh, I'm going to put my um, energy behind you, my faith in you. Uh, then it became sort of, I assent to uh, its the truth of that statement, I believe in God, that God exists. But then it became sort of um, the, the very, there's nothing that you actually believe in, you simply believe. And it's the, uh, it's sort of a third way. So the, I thought Joel Miller had an interesting way of putting it that was helpful to me personally, as, um, as, as the sort of organizing principle or lack thereof, perhaps of the way that Oprah gets away with what she does, which is essentially removing all value judgments um, from religious content uh, in a way that everyone can hear. I mean, it's sort of brilliant from a commercial perspective, but it, this really, I thought this really touched on that in a way that made sense to me in a fresh way and also dovetailed with some of the um, things we've been, we've been writing recently about memoir, just in related to Mary Carr's new book on the art of memoir. And she talks about the, the reason memoirs have become so popular. They were a genre that almost had no popularity 50 years ago, or were really, uh, very peculiar to something that I think the bulk of sales, in fact, of hardback, uh, some enormous number of hardback books sold in this country are memoirs. It has to do with the triumph of the subjective over the personal experience over the Trump's all else. Um, yeah, some memoirs are great, by the way, but that's what she's, that's what she's, that's her theory about why it's so popular. And that, that, um, that resonates with what, uh, Miller's saying about, um, happiness and Oprah. So it's sort of like maybe is what you're saying, the old, an old perspective on faith used to be, you know, like, let's say you're walking on, on ice to get something that slipped down to the ice. Like if you have a little faith, in really solid, thick sheet of ice, it, you're you're fine because like the ice is the thing that, that the hot your faith is in the the rock hard object kind of thing that you can be unsure. But now, do you think is what sort of gives you pause in this that it? I mean, you're an advocate and champion of a grace oriented approach to life, and I think on one level because this is a choose your own adventure, I'm okay, you're okay. It looks very gracious. But maybe is your fear that like it leaves people trapped in their own subjectivity, which often winds up coming back to judge them like in the face sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the um, 
the the truth of our subjectivity is, is for a lot of people it's a very painful truth. So it, it it actually smacks of the privilege that it's often critiquing because a lot of folks who were addicts or um, you know maybe weren't born with certain advantages or have some kind of impairment they, they want anything but subjectivity. They want uh, something objective is not only helpful because it has some kind of basis outside of them, but it also heralds maybe relief from who they are. So um, we don't want to abandon objectivity. I think it gets harder to talk about it in a way that's not, um, I don't know, uh, antagonistic to the culture. Because I, I do think that, that you know, um, people can hide behind objectivity as a way to never address themselves and never to deal with their own subjectivity. Um, so it's not like something that is completely, um, it's not a completely negative trend in any regard. However, it, the effect it has when we're talking about religion or belief of any kind in, uh, is just a mass con- confusion and it becomes very difficult to talk about grace, uh, forgiveness, you know, I A, don't need to be forgiven or uh, B, um, there's no assurance of my forgiveness if I am the ultimate arbiter of that uh, forgiveness. So we're probably not going to see the church of Oprah spring up all over inner city neighborhood. That in Scientology, that's what you don't see. You know, you still get Mormon Jehovah's Witnesses, but you're just, you know, she's, she'll, her church will be next to the Scientology temple maybe. So switching yeah. gears. Again, she's an easy, she's an easy target. But. <laughs> switching gears, this piece in the Columbia Journalism Review about the, – the title is The Transformation of David Brooks. But it could have been called The Pilgrimage of David Brooks. I mean the New York Times op-ed columnist. You want to say something about this fascinating piece here? Well, David Brooks is just um, – he's occupying as that piece lays out. It, it – it puts meat on the bones of what many of us who read the New York Times have known for some time. That he's occupying this strange space that no one else is in. It's not uh, the space of conservative politics. That's how people write him off. It's he's the only one who is endorsing a kind of moral imagination or asking the what I would say are the deeper questions. It, at least in that publication, that doesn't mean there aren't great things that come through very often uh, in that um, publication, but. He's always interested in sort of meaning and purpose and ambition and uh, uh, the performancism. He's he's constantly talking about stuff that no one else is talking about. So I find I find him to be super worthwhile. He almost always love him or hate him. He'll get you talking. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the stuff he writes about even though he's kind of a political and cultural conservative in the center of a conservative, a lot of his stuff is transpartisan. I mean, it's about family and life and love and struggle. It's not about Obamacare every week or the Republican speakers. I I think he calls us out of like the tyranny of the moment sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, the the example that I put in the weekender is about how, when all those um, child molestation scandals were happening, at uh, with Paterno and um, at Penn State, he was the one who said, "You know, we 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 don't have a vocabulary for talking about evil anymore, and so everyone we don't know what to do when something is deeply upsetting, um, outside of to kind of rationalize it away through psychological upbringings and whatnot." Um, 
And that's those those are questions that are that should be asked. There's they're really worthwhile categories, and it's sad that people don't have them. But I I feel people always think that he's patronizing or um, judgmental in some way. I, I don't read that into his into his writing at all. One of the things that was super interesting about that article is they they do um, complain that he doesn't put his own cards on the table enough. That he doesn't talk his own personal. Uh, struggles uh, with the very same questions. And I think that that's a weakness of his writing. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it comes off in that way. But, you know, there are certain costs to um, laying out the, the details of your own struggles that um, maybe he doesn't want to deal with or protecting his family or whatnot. But it, he's, he, he's a great voice. I love him or hate him. He's, he's, he's worth it. He is. And one last thing I want to lift up is this piece that you highlight from Modern Reformation that says individualism's not the problem, community's not the solution. Because I think in a lot of times, in both religious and non-religious circles, community is offered as salvation, that what we're all looking for is community. And it, this is so this is sort of like for most people's palate, the title's gonna come out that a, a little survey. Community I thought community was the solution for everything. So why isn't community the solution, David? Well, the writer of that article, I think, astutely says that because the problem is not that we have uh, we're relating to God incorrectly. The problem is that we hate authority, um, and that he's, it's 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 too weak of an understanding of sin. Uh, so that's where he goes. I mean, he, his sort of solution is to kind of reclaim some lordship theology that I'm not sure, which kind of masquerades as more law in, in the way I read it. But his the diagnosis is interesting because you do hear a lot of this stuff about community. And the truth is people are really lonely. Like they're extremely lonely and they're getting lonelier. So community is good and you never want to say community is bad. But to um, – the, when we start to demonize individualism, uh, you get into murky territory because God addresses you and not um, – I just heard a, a lecture the other day by a very prominent theologian who was talking about the gospel is communal and it's one community addressing another person. And that just sounds so abstracted and strange to me because uh, you know I, I need to hear that I love you, not – I love the community you're a part of, or um, and maybe people would say that that happens within a community. I don't quite know, but I do know that there we don't um, de- we don't have to demonize the individualism to embrace uh, community and sort of grace and practice in that way. Uh, and but community is not the gospel; it's just simply uh, not the gospel creates community, and. Um, but once it beco- once the once Christianity or church becomes a means to you know basically replace your family, it's uh, or make up for the bad high school experience you had. I mean, it. I think that gets really dangerous um, because you're <laughs> people had bad experiences in high school. I did. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know it's interesting. I think like. What happens? What happens when you you have community without, I think, grace and one way love is that the communitarianism actually helps you bury the real stuff in your deal with, right? Because well, if I just fit into the community, if I just parrot the right lines, then I'll be accepted. Then I'll fit. And, and actually, I think has the opposite effect, where you wind up more isolated than you were before sometimes. But 
Yeah, you can be lonely in a community. I, but then again, you know, I, I go to a church where I've never experienced such community, and it, it means a lot. Uh, but it, we've never, uh, you never hear a sermon about how uh, God will shape our community. It, that happens uh, um, unselfconsciously, and it really does happen. It's not just something we like to say on the website. It, it happens. I, I see it in my lo- own life. So you don't want to demonize community because it's a buzzword, but you don't want to demonize uh, individualism. What he's trying to do is say that the problem is rebellion. It's not, it's not a problem of relatedness. It's actually a problem. Sin is deeper than how I relate to other people. It's a sort of an active rejection of God that says, I am God. It puts yourself not just as um, a person who's alienated from God, but a person who thinks they are God. And that is... Um, I think that's much truer to our own experience, um, although it may not be fun to go there. And that may, at, the, at, at first blush, sound like it's something that might make you feel lonelier because it's kind of a condemning word. But it's, I think it's the place where it sets you up to hear the gospel, which is the comforting one. Yeah, you, do, you don't just need sort of re- rehab. You need resurrection. And <laughs> that's yeah. harder to... Okay, <laughs> and lastly, in the TV section... You have a couple listings, and one of them is Walking Dead. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Is Glenn alive or not? I just read a long uh, explanation of why he is alive, that the guts we saw were the were that, that guy, I forget his name, but the guy who fell on top of him. I wouldn't be surprised if they do pull that. I, I think it would be a sort of a cheap shot, and it would make us distrust anything that happens from here on out. But, you know. David Saul, if they do that, will Walking Dead have jumped the shark? Yes or no? No, because while The Walking Dead, I mean, to, it is not – sharks don't come into it. I, I think it's, it's already – if you haven't gotten off the train for logical reasons already, then you know, hopefully you can suspend some disbelief. They're having fun with us. Uh, I, I may be more charitable than I should be. I, I don't love that show. I think it's really – it's too serious, um, but it's – or somber or nihilistic, I don't know, but it certainly is enjoyable. I'm enjoying The Leftovers more right now, frankly. Oh my gosh, every time my wife and I watch that show, we feel like our mind has been so played with, and we come back every week to get played with again. It's so freaky and interesting. And Fargo, I mean, this we're back into a stage of good television, which is fun. I'm, I'm all for it, man. Uh, yeah, who would have thought 20 years ago if someone had told you, hey, big screen actors are going to try to get net- network drama gigs? Like Holly Berry wants to get on a CV. You'd just be like, you're crazy. You know? No. It's a cool – it's a fun world to live in. I think it's like – Sunday's a great day not only because of church but because of TV. <laughs> it's uh, – I hope it remains that way. It's like kind of – for me, it's the perfect – especially if I've preached uh, at church – and I'm just exhausted, you know. It feels like a gift from God to be able to relax into these great television series. I could not agree more, my friend. Anything else before we go that you want to send us any fun facts or things that you want to send us into the weekend with? Um, well, happy Reformation Day to everyone. Hope everyone has a happy Halloween. I, uh, let us know if this is, if this works. I'd be interested. To, this is something people have been suggesting for a while that we try a podcast, uh, sort of a weekly, more topical podcast. And, um, we're going to give it a shot. So, um, bear with us while we work out the kinks. Folks could send feedback 
to you via email at the at the at the Mockingbird site? Sure, uh, info at embird.com, uh, or you can uh, just put a comment under the Weekender post. Um, we'll do our best to keep it interesting, and uh, but yeah, baby steps and um, uh, growing curves. What do they say? Uh, growing pains. Um, but I think this could be really fun, and I hope people have a great weekend. Absolutely. Thanks. Once again, that was David Zoll. I'm Scott Jones, and we'll see you next week again for the Mockingcast.